Last Sunday, we launched a new sermon series entitled, How Firm a Foundation. And the ultimate outcome, the ultimate goal of this sermon series is for us as the people of God to seek what we call a biblical worldview. We established last week that a worldview, if that terminology is new for you, is simply a framework, a lens by which we view all of life. As I mentioned last Sunday, just as everyone is a theologian, the question is whether you're a good theologian or a bad theologian, everyone has a worldview. The question is what is it actually informing it? A biblical worldview simply means that that lens or that framework is informed by the infallible word of God. That is what it means to have a biblical worldview, that the infallible word of God informs all of life and all of reality. The researcher George Barna, who's been researching worldview in the North American church since the 80s, said this, our research has discovered that fewer than 10% of American Christians actually possess a biblical worldview, a perceptual filter through which they see life and its opportunities. Lacking that filter, most Christians make important decisions on the basis of instinct, emotion, assumption, past experiences, external pressure, or chance. Note. That is not 10% of Americans. That is 10% of Americans in the church. Do not see the word of God as relevant to all of life. And so in this sermon series, what we will be doing each week is unpacking a foundational truth of scripture that is that building block when put together helps us to see all of life through the lens of God's word. Foundational truth number one that we'll unpack this morning is the doctrine of creation. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter one, verses one through five, and then John one, one through five. A passage from the Old Testament, and then a passage from the New Testament. I believe that the world was created in six literal days. We don't have enough time to unpack this truth this morning or this aspect of creation. But when you turn to Exodus chapter 20, the same author of Exodus is the same author of Genesis, Moses, living in a time when they clearly understood a day to be a 24-hour period, it is Moses who said, we will pattern our week which we still pattern our week this way to, to this day, after the creation, just as God worked for six days and rested on the seventh, so shall we work for six days and rest on the seventh. Now you might say in the 21st century, my mind just can't comprehend creation. Well, neither can your mind comprehend the resurrection. That's why we need the very word of God. Genesis 1, John 1, the foundational truth of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was 
over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. There was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. John chapter one. This is the prologue of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But no, not the word of God. The word of God stands forever. Amen. There is no more pressing question than who made you? No more pressing question than where did we come from? Don't believe me? Look to the $1 billion industry called Ancestry.com. $1 billion in annual revenue. People searching, where did I come from? Where did I originate from? wanting to understand these important pieces in our story to help make sense of who I am and where I'm from. But no more pressing question than this, the question of origin, the question of beginning. That's why for this Worldview Foundational Sermon Series, we have to start in the beginning with the doctrine of creation. How does the doctrine of creation and the truth of origin help give us that firm foundation that we talked about last Sunday that makes us immovable, that makes us unshakable? Well, the first thing I want to point out in the creation story is number one, the origin of creation. Where did all this come from? Everything I see, everything I experience, where did it all originate from? And right there in the opening line of scripture, it's like a slam dunk where God says through his servant Moses, in the beginning, God. Listen to me, this is the most foundational worldview because if it was to say anything else, it throws all other biblical worldview truths out the window. In the beginning, God, the most foundational worldview. Some theologians have said that the first 10 words of scripture are the most important words of scripture because if you can believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you can believe everything else in scripture. If in the beginning, God everything else begins to fall into place. You can begin to understand the supernatural. You can begin to understand the miracles of God. You can begin to understand the stories that maybe some of you have grown up with in church or maybe you've heard that have come out of the church, but it all begins with this foundational truth of origin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that is was created by the very word of God. 
I love this truth personally because it tells me that I am not the main character in the story and that's a good thing. God is the main character. In fact, the name God is mentioned 34 times in the first 35 verses of scripture. Just in case we can't get it through our thick skulls, that's not all about you. It's not all about us. It's all about God. Nothing caused God. God caused everything. God is not dependent upon anyone or anything. In fact, everyone and everything is dependent upon God. Some say that it takes great faith to believe in the creation. True. But it takes even greater faith to believe that there is no God and all of this just suddenly appeared. It takes even greater faith to believe in what is known as spontaneous generation. Yes, it takes great faith, but it takes even greater faith to believe that there was no God in the beginning. The origin of creation helps confront many lies of our culture, but there's two in particular. Number one, it confronts the lie of relativity. The lie of relativity that says what's true for you may not be true for me. But as long as we can coexist with two truths that might actually be opposite to each other, that's okay because at the end of the day, all truth is relative. No, in fact, if there is a God in the beginning, it means there are absolutes. It means there is absolute truth. It means there's absolute morality. It means there is an absolute good and evil and absolute right and wrong. It means you can't say, I believe this or don't believe that just because I feel that way. If there is a God in the beginning, you lose that right to say I believe or don't believe based on how you feel. It's interesting, uh, an atheist journalist said that in, uh, in the aftermath of 9-11 that it dealt the greatest blow to atheism. This is an atheistic journalist saying this, this is why. He said even atheists had to look up that day on 9-11 and see two planes fly into buildings and collectively, we all said without exception, evil. But if there is no God, what makes it evil? If there is no God, why is that an evil thing? But even the atheists had to admit that is an evil act. The origin of God in the beginning, the origin of creation, the reality that God was in the beginning deals the greatest blow to atheism and the lie of relativity. The other lie that it confronts is the lie of self-sovereignty. He is sovereign over all. He is king. Our culture wants us to believe that you are king, that you are autonomous, that you are sovereign over your life. And no, if God is in the beginning, then he is the king. It means John, Bo, uh, bon jo John Bon Jovi was wrong, that we can't sing It's My Life. We don't get that option any longer. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the de definition of God in Genesis chapter one is Elohim. It speaks to the transcendence, the universal majesty, that there is no beginning and no end with this God. He is the sovereign king over all. The phrase there, heaven and earth, 
is what is known as a mirrorism. It means that his creation, that he is the creator over all of creation, that it is all encompassing day and night, east and west, everything in all of creation is under the sovereign hand of God. And whether you realize it or not, this is good news. Because if you are sovereign, we're in trouble. But if God is sovereign, in the beginning God, it means that nothing is outside of his control. Not your health, not the weather, not your marriage, not your children, not even Vladimir Putin is outside the sovereign hand of God. Nothing is outside of his sovereign control. The origin of creation, in the beginning God, the most foundational truth. The second thing I want you to see about creation is the design of creation. If you were to read Genesis 1 in its entirety, you would notice that there's nothing random. God is not up there just randomly putting things together. There is a distinct order, pattern, and design. It is not random, but a clear, clear progression, highly patterned structure. You'll notice the condition in verse 2 of Genesis 1. There is no form. It's formless and void. There is no structure. But then God speaks and there's design, and there's pattern. You'll notice in days one and three, one through three, God creates the form, but in days four, five, and six, he fills the form, but it follows day and night, day and night. It is the pattern of design, and what we see by the design of creation is we see that the design demands a designer. It's impossible to have design and order as we see in Genesis 1 and as we see with our naked eye without the reality of a chief designer. And there's a myriad of implications for the design of creation, but I want to give you two. One, the design of creation gives us the basis for modern science. Now, most people in our popular culture think that science is opposed to the doctrine of creation. Not so. You look at the Eastern religions. The Eastern religions deny the reality of a material world. It's kind of hard to study a world that doesn't really exist. The Eastern religions do not provide the basis for modern science. You go back to pagan culture, the pagan religions and the pagan philosophies. Pagan religion taught that the gods in the heavens got into a big war and the aftermath of that war resulted in the universe. Seems far-fetched, doesn't it? But still, once again, there's no order. There's no structure. One chaotic event led to another chaotic event. But it wasn't until the biblical worldview began to spread throughout the known world that it gave way to the reality of modern science. In order to have science, we need something that we can see and discover and research. And it was the biblical worldview spreading throughout the known world that gave this basis for modern science that we could actually see something and study something, that we could see the hand of God and the patterns of God throughout all of creation that gave way to the reality 
of modern science. We study the world and we see that it is not random, but we see a world created with pattern and design by a rational and purposeful God. But not only does design give us the basis for modern science, but it also gives us the basis for human flourishing. You see, a God who orders creation is also the God who orders life. It's only logical to conclude that God that provided so much order in creation would also give his prized possession, humanity, order for their lives as well. God, it is not logical to think that God would create the heavens and the earth and then walk away and say, you all figure it out to yourselves, for yourselves. God spoke his word at creation and it brought about order and structure and design. But God speaks his word through the Bible, his special revelation, and it brings order and structure to our lives. You see, without the word of God at creation, there was only chaos. But without the word of God in our lives, there's chaos as well. You see, when we fail to live our lives under the authority of God's word, we can only expect chaos and confusion. It is the lie of the devil to think we have to somehow get with, from without and underneath the word of God, and there we'll find freedom. No, it's living under the authority of God's word that gives us peace and order. There is a design, and God has designed the world and his people to function in a particular way. The design of creation, the design of the universe gives us the basis for all human flourishing. The design of the earth demands a designer. So we see the origin of creation, we see the design of creation, and lastly, we see the light of creation. It says that there was darkness covering the face of the deep. Darkness all throughout the Bible is synonymous with chaos, evil, and death. But then what happens in verse 3? In the midst of the darkness, God speaks his word, and there emerges light. The supernatural happens. A miracle happens. It's what theologians call creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing, that out of nothing, out of the formless darkness of this world came about light and life according to the power of the word. And why is this so important? It is the light coming out of the midst of the darkness that not only revealed to us how the heavens and the earth were created, but it also serves as a paradigm for how God would work throughout redemptive history. This pattern of light coming out of the darkness, life coming out of death, would not only serve for us as the pattern of creation, but also serve as the power of redemption. You don't believe me, do you? Turn to 2 Corinthians. If you don't take my word for it, listen to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness referring to Genesis, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There we have it. In the opening pages of scripture, we are taught not only how the heavens and the earth are created, but how our God would function in redemption and salvation, bringing light out of darkness. And so we are told that the significance of light is that the light shines in the darkness of creation and brings about light life, but that this same word would one day come, as John says, in the flesh, and this light would shine in the darkness of our hearts and bring about a new creation. The word of God becomes flesh and enters the darkness of this world and enters the darkness of our hearts as the light of the world, the story of salvation revealed to us in the opening pages of scripture, our God empties himself so that we would never be empty again. The origin of creation, the design of creation, and the power of the light of creation. The application this morning is simple. If this is not true, and everything I just said is bogus, then go out and live like it. As your pastor, I give you permission. If there is no God, then there is no hope of heaven, then life has no meaning, life has no purpose, there is no such thing as absolute truth, and morality is neutral. Don't pray and by all means do not come back next Sunday because it's a royal waste of time. But if it is true, And if it is true that in the beginning was God, then your life will never be the same because this foundational truth says you can have real objective hope. It means that you can have real objective meaning and purpose in life. It means you know who the king is. It means you know who is in control of all things in heaven and in earth. It means you have truth and direction. It means you have a light to guide your way through life. It means you know how the story ends. And that is good news for you and for me this morning. Back in 2016... Atheist scientist Graham Lawton wrote this article in the magazine, The New Scientist, titled, What is the Meaning of Life? He says, the harsh answer, it has none. At least he's honest. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring, impersonal universe. And when it ends... A few people will remember you for a while, but they'll die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. And against this appalling reality, how can a human life have any real meaning? Listen to me. If there is no God, there is no truth, there is no moral standard, there is nothing sacred, including humanity, there is no future, and there there is no hope. If I'm wrong, you miss out on nothing. But if you're wrong, you miss out on everything. 
Are you comfortable this morning dismissing this truth in the beginning, God? I think the Bible says something, something along the lines of only the fool says there is no God. Do you know what you're rejecting? Do you know the truth that you are dismissing? I wanna say a word to anyone who does not believe this morning. I believe deep down in your hearts, you know you're missing something. And I would plead with you this morning to run to Jesus, the creator, redeemer, sustainer of all things. I don't know how you can wake up in the morning if it is not true that God was there in the beginning, that all things are made by him and sustained by him. I don't know how you could survive to me That's an impossible life. But to know who made you, to know where you came from, to know that there is a God and he's in control of everything. What a way to live. In the beginning, God, what good news for you and for me this morning.